great song. Layla Bug, would you bring my Bible there for me? Amen. Of course, I'm a little partial to Layla, but uh, I sure do appreciate her songs and the work she puts into those. And what a great reminder. That's, I've never heard that one before. That's a new one that she's done. And uh, what a great reminder. Of course, we just celebrated the 4th of July. And um, certainly thankful for our country. I, even though with all its faults, still the greatest country on the planet. Um, I'm glad saw fit to allow me to be born in this country and to be a uh, to be an American. Uh, certainly, I'm not ashamed of America. Amen. As far as what she was founded on, I'm not happy with America as most I believe genuine believers wouldn't be. How could we be right with everything that's going on? Uh, but uh, as that song reminds us and uh, as the Bible reminds us that uh, it's not going to be a president or a governor that changes America, it's be God's people that changes America. And uh, just to echo what I've been saying, what we even preached on last 4th of July or last Sunday before the 4th, that uh, if you want to do what's best for America, be the best Christian you can be. And to be the best Christian you can be, you need to be faithful. Amen. And uh, a lot of us are complaining and pointing fingers, but the Bible says, if my people shall humble themselves, pray and seek my face, that he would heal the land, he'll heal America. And, uh, and I believe that could still happen. I know some preachers don't believe it can, but I believe that it can. And uh, I believe it could happen real quick. Uh, and uh, so I keep praying for that. Take your Bibles, turn to the book, the epistle of First John. First John, we're going to be there in chapter 1. And I tell you what, let's just go ahead and stand in reverence to the Word of God. We're going to go ahead and just read one passage. We might look at a few others. But 1 John 1, chapter 9, this is probably a, a uh, very popular verse of Scripture, but I think it's somewhat misunderstood. And the key to this passage is to understand that John, an old disciple by now, probably in his 90s, maybe even pushing 100 by this time, was speaking to believers. He's speaking to little children, that is, children of God. And uh, I want to preach to you uh, tonight, or this morning rather, you know, I think uh, one of the problems that we have in America today, again, is the worldliness of God's people. I've been pretty vocal about that. I think that the church, or I'm sorry, the world is evangelizing the church. We see more worldliness coming to the church than we ever have. Um, and I believe that sometimes uh, that certainly isn't going to bless the believer we're going to struggle with things. And I think there's a lot of believers out there, they're saved. They're going to make heaven their home. But they know they're out of the will of God. And when you know you're out of the will of God, and you think that God uh, no longer loves you, or that God is finished with you, you're certainly not going to be effective for God. And I think that could be one of the problems we see in America today. So the title of the message, and it may sound a little odd at first, but just bear with me. The title of the message is this, God never gets tired of His children. Now, certainly there's repercussions. I don't want you to think this is just behave how you want and God doesn't mind. Certainly anybody that's heard me preach knows, knows I don't believe that. But what we're talking about is God's love for you, His concern for you, that uh, God loves you as much as He's ever loved anybody. Amen. Isn't that wonderful to know that as you sit here right now, maybe your fellowship with God isn't what it needs to be, but I want to tell you, He loves you as much as He ever loved Moses or Abraham or David, or Peter, or Paul. Isn't that exciting that the God of this universe loves you just as much? And I want you to understand that, that when it comes to His children, that we have a very long-suffering God. 
And so we see there in the epistle of 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, and he's talking to believers, if we confess our sins, he, that is God, is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, now notice what it says, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So let's pray. Father, we ask your blessing upon the preaching of the Word of God this morning. Thank you so much for the song service. Thank you for the great spirit here today. Thank you for our visitors as well, Lord. It's good to have some young people here, some missionaries as well, and Pray, Father, that you'll bless them. And, Lord, I pray, dear God, that you'll bless this time. Lord, I understand that sometimes we have to tend to children, and sometimes, Lord, there's just things that can't be helped. Uh, but, Father, if at all possible that no one will go in or out, less absolutely necessary, dear Lord, so that we can focus here just for a few minutes on the preaching of the Word of God. And, Father, I pray that when this invitation is given, Lord, the most important part of this service is the invitation, Father, that folks would come. There may be some here today that need to be saved and Father, there may be some believers here that just need to get some things right in their fellowship with you today. Father, maybe they're at a standstill, or standstill that is, in their usability for you because they just haven't taken care of some things. And so, Father, as we read here a while ago, Lord, you're ready, you're here. And uh, Father, I know that you want us, every one of us, including this preacher, to leave here better than we came in. And we'll thank you for it. And we'll love you for it. In Jesus Christ's name we do pray. Amen and amen. You can go ahead and be seated. You know, you don't have to answer this question out loud. Please don't. <laughs> but uh, do you ever get tired of someone? <laughs> you know, we, we do. And, and uh, it, it happens. I mean, uh, certain people, it's not that we don't love them. It's not that, you know, we, we wish ill well to them. But sometimes there's just some people that make us tired. Um, and, and I'm sure, you know, we too can make people tired ourselves. You know, it goes both ways. Um, but the point is, is we have the, the tendency to get tired. Sometimes we might even, you know, we say it, you know, I, I'm fed up. You know, I, I've, I've said those words. I, I'm fed up with this. I'm fed up with that person. Uh, now, we need to understand, recognize it for what it is. It's wrong for us to feel that way. And now the Bible teaches us that, you know, in certain situations we must distance ourselves with people. But, but, but I want you to understand that, that that doesn't mean that, you know, we have to bear the infirmities of the weak at times, amen? Because somebody's bearing your infirmities, I'm sure. Uh, and so, you know, we get into personalities, those types of things. We need to be careful with that. Uh, you know, again, you know, understanding that, that, listen, if I'm getting tired of someone, the first thing I need to remember is, how does God feel about me? You know, you know uh, listen, nobody has ever treated you as bad as you've treated God. Right? Right? Now you say, well, I don't know about that. Well, just, just read your Bible. You'll find out that's true. Right? I mean, when we talk about God's righteousness and ours compared to his, it's like filthy rags. So that's what I mean by that. I'm not saying you're a bad person. But, but we've all offended God. We've all offended God so much that we deserve to go to hell. Okay, so that's what I mean, all right? So, so just, just kind of stick with me here. Um, and so we have to ask this question, does God ever get tired of his children? Now, some people say, well, doesn't it say in Genesis 6, 3, concerning the awful state of the world before the flood, that the, God said, my spirit shall not always strive with man? Certainly that's true. And he gave them over, and, and I believe all of that world, except for those eight saved on the ark, are in hell today. I, I do believe that. But we read in our verse that, that certainly God will forgive us, that is, believers here. We're, we're beyond salvation. We're talking to the believer that, that, that has 
sin in their life that is not doing what they need to be doing. And, uh, you know, we understood, we even learned this morning that, you know, we're saved from the penalty of our sin, but we're still in the process of being saved from the influence or the power of our sin. In other words, we still have that old flesh that nags us, but, but we see there that God says that he'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the question has to be, how do we, re, how do we reconcile all this? What, what, are we, what, what are we seeing here? Is, you know, how do we put all this together? Um, I just want you to know that uh, one verse, particularly in Genesis 6-3, where I just mentioned that his, his spirit should not always strive with man, is dealing with those who are not saved. It's dealing with those that, that were lost in that time. Now, certainly God is still very long-suffering, especially in this age of grace that you and I live in toward the lost, so don't misinterpret that. But 1 John 1, 9, understanding the context, is not dealing with lost people, but he's dealing with a believer. He's dealing with the child of God. Amen? And that's so important to understand. In other words, he's dealing with somebody who is saved, so we can say for sure that the Bible teaches us that God doesn't get tired of you in the way that you may think if you belong to him today, amen? Now, this doesn't mean that he winks at our sin, as we'll see. But the Bible teaches us as far as our, his love for us, as far as his desire to have fellowship with us, God never gets tired of you, amen, amen, and amen. That even though we are dead to sin, we know that sometimes we can yield to it. And if you don't believe that, back up to verse 8. Now, he's talking to believers. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That's to believers. There are some belief systems out there, denominations if you will, that believe that you uh, basically have to have sinless perfection on this side of eternity. The Bible does not teach such a thing. And we're certainly not given license to sin. But we do know, and anybody that's saved here this morning knows that you sin. Amen. And if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. By the way, if you say you have no sin, you're just right for the devil. So we need to understand some things. But that doesn't have any bearing on God's love and care for us. Now, the devil loves it when we do sin. When a believer sins, it's a very serious thing. It's a bad thing. But the devil, he loves it when he does that. But one part of the reason he loves that is he wants to convince us that God will sooner or later get tired of you. He, you know, he would love for you to think that. Especially if it's a sin, we might think of the book of Hebrews, a besetting sin, a sin that you struggle with, and you know, it's something that you, you, you battle all the time. You, you have a tendency where you keep doing it and giving in, and the devil whispers in your ear, boy, you've messed up this time. Oh boy, God's, God's done with you now. You've done it. You have done it. You say, preacher, I, you know, I find myself constantly confessing my sin, as our text says, uh, but, but I, I, I still keep messing up. And boy, God's got to be getting tired of, of my confessing. God's got to be getting tired of, of me saying I'm sorry. And again, we, we go off life experiences, don't we? we you know, maybe we've been there. You've had a, a person that you think highly of, somebody that you love perhaps, a spouse, a, a daughter, a son, a mom, a brother, whatever the case is, and they keep hurting you and they say you're sorry and you keep forgiving them and you put yourself out there again and they hurt you again and you just go on and on and on. Hey, listen, we, and finally we just say, you know, I'm not, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm done. But God's not that way. 
God's not that way. I mean, that might how you feel, but, you know, that has no bearing on what the Word of God teaches, right? I mean, life experiences never override what the Scriptures say, right? Yeah, amen. My life experiences might say one thing, but thus saith the Lord says another. I'm going to go with thus saith the Lord. And we need to be the same way. And whatever it is we might be struggling with uh, this morning... And so I just want to look at some biblical truths, and I don't want you to think that we're taking lightly of sin. Anybody that's heard me preach knows that I don't feel that way. But I want you to understand some things. And, and uh, uh, number one, to really get a hold of this, I want you to think uh, some 2,000 years ago, when Jesus died on the cross, 2,000 years ago, how many of my sins were forgiven? That's right, all of them. And they were all future, right? <laughs> In other words, you know, I wasn't even born yet, okay? No, I mean, I can't say enough greats, you know. They weren't even born yet. But we know that God is God, and He's all-knowing, and He died for, for all sin. Let's just wrap this up, past, present, and future. You know, there's still people yet to be born as long as the Lord, the Lord tarries. They're going to grow up, and they're going to sin. Guess what? Those sins have been paid for. Woo! Hallelujah! That's, that's the gospel, right? Uh, and so, so, again, he's paid for all of them, if so many of you rightfully uh, answered. And so that's one fact, there's a lot of things, but that's one fact about the death of Christ. I think that we forget sometimes that Jesus has died for all sin. Not sins per se, but all sin. Every sin that had been sin, every sin that's being sinned right now, and every sin still yet to be sinned was paid for at one point in time on the cross of Calvary. It has been. It is finished. It's paid for. Isn't that amazing? Now, listen, we're, we certainly benefit from that. Uh, God saved us. He, he certainly knows sins. He's a sovereign God. Now, we're not Calvinists. Amen. Uh, we believe that you, you, you could choose to be saved or, or choose to remain lost. But I want you to understand that, that your sins have been paid for and Jesus died for those sins. I, I'm trying to get you to understand, believer, if we look at verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us, that has to tell me that there's still sins that I have not sinned yet, but Jesus died for those sins. Whew. Hallelujah, amen. I tell you what, that ought to, that ought to be uh, good, good news for us, amen? Uh, because aren't you glad that, that we're not saved by our works? Because, hey, listen, as soon as we go, we might, we might get all super spiritual here in a minute and come to this altar, and I hope you do, and, and cry tears and say, God, I, uh, forgive me my sins, forgive me I've done this, forgive me I don't want to quit this, and you may genuinely want to, but guess what? By the time this next church service rolls around, you've already messed up a little bit. Amen? Maybe not in action, but certainly in thought. Right? I mean, the Sermon on the Mount teaches us that, right? I mean, doesn't Jesus teach us that? Uh, and so again, we, we, we know that we have, we have that sin nature, if you will, still inside of us. You know, one of the great hymns that I love to sing is, is that uh, it is well with my soul. And if you know the backstory of that song, it's an amazing song. But it says, my sin not in part, but the whole, but the whole. W-H-O-L-E. The whole is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Now, that's not true because the song says it. That's true because that's what the Bible teaches. 
Uh, and, and so again, I bear it no more. My sin, not in part, but the whole. All of it has been paid for on the cross of Calvary. But even better than the song, the book of Isaiah 53, 5 tells us, The Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. It was laid upon Jesus Christ when he hung between heaven and earth, dying for your sin. So listen, all, all your sins, all of them, were laid on Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. They have been paid for. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2, 24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. That is the cross of Calvary. That's why we take a high, uh, high look, uh, a very important look at the cross of Calvary and Jesus' substitutional death on our part. And by the way, Christ's death was just that. It was a substitutional death. I want you to understand as an individual for you, we sing that song, when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. And certainly that is true today. And we thank the Lord for that. And when you accept him as Savior, in other words, you through faith believe what the Bible teaches about Jesus Christ and about your sin and how you're a sinner, when you accept him as a Savior through faith, plus or minus nothing else, but through faith he becomes your substitute for sin. Uh, he, he bare, that is, he bore your sin on the cross and that's shouting ground. And if you're saved, and I hope all of us are, if you're saved, He suffered your hell, if you will. He became for a moment your sin, so much so that the Father turned His back on the Son. And that's what it is. Separation in doing so, He died for all. Again, He did that paying your sins. It's been paid for. Even those ones you haven't sinned yet. So as far as God's concerned, as being positionally fit for heaven, he said, it is finished. My sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross. I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. That's why believers ought to shout every once in a while. Listen, Jesus has died for all your sins. Every last one of them. And it, by the way, it'd have to be that way or we'd all be in a heap of trouble. Number two, you can't make up for sinning. Now, I'm talking to believers. I want to say it again. You cannot make up for sinning. You know, a lot of us, we say, yeah, I'm saved by grace, but we want to live for God through works. All of a sudden, we think the grace goes away as soon as we become a child of His. Hey, we're not saved. We're, we're saved by grace, but we're kept by that same grace as well. Amen. And what I'm trying to get you to understand, now you guys, you guys heard me preach, I believe, I believe Christians all live like Christians, amen. We ought not blend with this world, right? Hey we, hey, we ought to stand out. We're a peculiar people, amen. We don't win them by becoming like them, right? We, we don't believe in that, all right? We need to give them the gospel. But I want you to understand that, that we, we need to understand the, the work of works, if you will. And again, I want to say that that no amount of good that you do will pay for your sin. I, I'm talking to you, believer. You know, it would be like shining a flashlight at the sun. <laughs> There's really no reason to do that. <laughs> There's no reason to think you're going to do anything with that, right? And certainly our measly little works compared to what it takes to be right with God fail so, so much. Um, we should do good works. But we don't do those good works paying for our sin. Jesus Christ already paid for our sin. That's important. And by the way, I believe this. The more you get a hold of that, the less you will sin. 
Amen. You know, the more you fall in love with Jesus Christ, the less you'll sin. I believe that. Amen. I believe that. Uh, and it's not so I can be saved. It's not so I can even stay saved, but it's because I'm saved. The love of Christ does a, does a great things. Now, the Bible does say that uh, Ezekiel 18.4, that the soul that sinneth, it, it will die. And we understand that in light of, of salvation. And when we share the gospel with the lost, we, we will say that the Romans 6.23, that the wages, the, the cost of sin is, is death. And we know that word death in that particular verse isn't talking about physical death, but spiritual death, separation from God forever in a place called hell. Certainly, if, if I suppose you could say that, that for the lost person, they, they, they really can only pay for their sin by spending eternity in hell, but really it's not really getting it paid, so they just keep burning forever and ever and ever. That's the awfulness of hell. Now, if you're saved, that's certainly not for you. Because Jesus has paid it all. He had to. It's our only hope because we can't make up for sinning. We can't do it. Number three, God's forgiveness never gives out. Amen. You know, I'm sure we're all falling in this category one way or another. We sin a sin. We confess that sin to God and we ask for forgiveness. Now, I'm talking about believers. I'm talking about those that are saved. And we've got some, some things in our life that are not right you know, we got some things going on with our ear gate or our eye gate. We got, we got an attitude. We got some bitterness. We got some hatred. We got some unforgiveness. We got some things going on. And we say, God, I'm never going to do that again. And we've all done that. We've all been there in one way or another. It might be a smaller matter. It might be a big matter. But in some way or another, we've all been there. But what happens often, maybe all the time, we do it again. We do it again. It might be a month. It might be two years. Whatever the case may be, it might be five minutes. I don't know, but at the end of the day, we, we tend to keep doing it again. When we think of that uh, human parable or proverb, if you will, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. But aren't you glad God doesn't think that way? <laughs> you know, God doesn't work like that. You see, we try to, I mentioned this a while ago, we try to see God from our point of view instead of His point of view. His point of view is full of grace and mercy. Our point of view says, maybe God is getting tired of me. Maybe God is getting fed up with me. But aren't you glad in Romans chapter 5, verse 20, that where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. You know, it's like, I think I've shared this illustration with you before, but I remember the first time I heard it as a young Christian, it just really jumped out to me, and I've never forgotten it. That eagles teach their little eaglets to fly by basically flying them up in the air and letting them go. And they fall. And they showed it on video, and I mean, they're, I suppose they're screaming. And just when you think, that's a hard lesson to learn, they're going to die. Here comes Mama Eagle, swoops down and grabs it. You see, she can fly faster than the little eaglet can fall. And aren't you glad that God can fly faster than you can fall? Amen. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. Now listen, I want you to understand that, that Jesus uh, certainly uh, has paid it all and his forgiveness never gives out. Amen. Even when we fail him. 
But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. We think about that song, Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. I think of Miss Danielle and her children, because uh, I got one that's the same way, uh, especially Aaliyah. Uh, I notice she's always leaning on her mom. Now, a couple years ago, that probably wasn't too bad, but Aaliyah's growing, right? And uh, my daughter's the same way. She's a leaner, okay? And uh, she likes to lean, especially when they get tired, you know, they're wanting to lean. And when they're littler, certainly it's not a big deal, but, uh, I mean, it's not like she's a giant or anything, but, but it is a little harder to hold her up. Sometimes I'm like, hon, you're going to have to go find a wall or something to lean on. I, my arms are too heavy. You know, I, I can't do that. But we sing that song, Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. Amen. Isn't that a wonderful thought that God's arms are everlasting? They never give out. I, I guess, and, and again, we could even think of some things that Jesus taught here about forgiveness and so forth and the amount of times we're supposed to forgive. But I just want you to understand that the Bible teaches us that God never gets tired of our confessions. Here's an amazing thing. Do you know when you confess your sin to God, God forgets? <laughs> yeah, we're not there yet, but God is. And you say, boy, how can he forget when I just keep doing it over and over? I don't know how he can, but he says he does. And I believe him. Amen. I believe him. And I believe that he does. Uh, each time we confess, uh, he forgets. And that's an amazing thing to think about. So when Jesus died on the cross, all my sins were paid for, even the ones I haven't sinned yet. I know I can't make up for sinning. In other words, if I sin, I... I can't, you know, try to do some more good works. They're, they're absolutely useless to make up for sin. You know, good works are good, but not to make up for sin. And God's forgiveness never gives out. He forgives us each time we confess, no matter how many we may do. So you say, okay, preacher, how do you, how do you put all this together? And there's a lot of things we could talk about and think about, but this morning I just want you to understand that, that God never gets tired of you. You know, you know, after, after we learn a vertical truth, then we need to live it horizontally down here on earth. I'm giving you a vertical truth that God never gets tired of you, child of God. And that ought to leave you a certain way. You see, each time we do learn a spiritual truth, God expects us to allow that to affect what we do down here. You would, you would miss this whole sermon completely if you say, okay, God's okay with the sin that I'm living right now. That's not at all what this message was about. But as far as his love for you and your worth to him, that never changes. He never gets tired of you. And if, if we don't start there, then we're going to maybe, we, we say, I, I don't have a works-based salvation, but I might have a works-based fellowship with God. When I'm right with God, he's nice, you know, he likes me, he accepts me. But when I'm not, you know, those types of things. And that's a dangerous way of thinking. So that's what I want you to try to understand. And so based on what I learned about this type of forgiveness for the believer, what should I do? Now, pay close attention to this statement because this is another important aspect. And we'll be done. I'm almost done here. But everybody in here at any given time really has to learn to forgive two people. We might even say groups of people. Because if you don't, then you'll 
you'll probably leave here the same way you came in, even though I think you've heard a great truth. And those two people is yourself and others. Amen? Yourself and others. Very important to understand. Let's talk about forgiving yourself. We have already talked about, and the Bible certainly teaches that Jesus died for how many of our sins? All of our sins. We know that was all past 2,000 years ago. And since he is God, because the book of John certainly teaches us that he was God, is God, he knew what every one of them would be when he died for them. Even in the Old Testament, Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 31, 34, see I have it written down here, uh, he was speaking through Jeremiah he, uh, concerning uh, backslidden Israel. Uh, he said, I will forgive their iniquity, I will remember their sin no more. And certainly Israel had a, had a history of sin. In Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. And I realize that we can do some pretty bad things in our life, even as believers, and things going by our past experiences and what this world has conditioned us to think, sometimes they seem unforgivable. But Christ died for all our sin, all of them. And if you try to say, well, not that sin, you, my friend, are playing God. And we just need to believe what God says, all sin. There are some, maybe even here today, again, that has some things in their past. And, and again, you really haven't forgiven yourself over something that God has forgiven you over. Something that God is able to forgive them over. Some hasn't forgiven themselves. And it says plainly in our text, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's unbiblical to carry around your sin. It's, un, it's unbiblical to not forgive yourself. Amen? And I think we need to understand that. And I think this could be one reason why a lot of Christians are unhappy. And listen, an unhappy Christian, for whatever reason, but any unhappy Christian is an ineffective Christian. They're a wounded soldier. And if they will not forgive themselves for something that has already been paid for by the blood of Christ, they are only hurting themselves. Now let's back up because I don't want people getting the wrong idea. I've already mentioned this. I'm not apologizing for what I'm preaching. But we do know that there are certainly consequences to our sins. There are scars in our life when we do wrong. And I've preached plenty on that. But... That doesn't mean because we're carrying a scar around or sometimes, particularly in the ministry, there are some that can disqualify themselves, shipwreck their faith, if you know what I mean there. And, but once that is done, they might be living in those consequences, if you will, but God is not punishing them for their sin. Their sin has been forgiven. And that's important to understand. And the only way we can, you know ever begin to pay for sin as we've learned a while ago would to be pay it forever in hell but God has forgiven us so we have to forgive ourselves as well it's it's so important to understand and there might be some here today that are carrying a huge burden that God has forgotten about years ago <laughs> we must learn to forgive ourselves that's important we must also forgive others woe is me this is tough, isn't it? And there could be a whole message on this on its own. Matter of fact, we've spent a few lessons on that as we were preaching through the book of Hebrews here a while back. 
Certainly a lot of verses we can go to that show the danger. I would even say the tragedy of not forgiving one another. And I would probably say probably the greatest side effect of unforgiveness towards others is always bitterness. And then somehow we justify our bitterness. Well, if you knew what they did to me, you would feel the same way. Well, you're probably right. I probably would feel the same way, but that don't make it right. <laughs> you know, Hebrews 12, verse 14 through 15 says, Follow peace with all men. That means husband, your wife, your brothers, your sisters, your church family, your cousins. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail the grace of God. Now, a lot of people misinterpret that. Oh, there you go, you lose your salvation. It's not what he's talking about at all. What that's talking about is the same grace that God shows you, you're going to fail the grace of God when you don't reciprocate that towards others. And you're going to end up being a bitter Christian. And you're going to be an ineffective Christian because you have failed the grace of God that he's given you and not given that to others. And I tell you what, that's probably a bigger problem in Christendom today than what most of us make it out to be. And listen, even a little bit of bitterness is no good. Even a little bit of bitterness is no good. And you need to take care of that. You have to learn how to forgive others. And as I said a while ago, nobody has offended you as much as you offended God. It goes on to say, talking about failing the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, that thereby many be defiled. You see, especially if you have an area of rule, it's particularly a family. Mom and dad are bitter. Listen, it will negatively affect the rest of your family. It isn't just you, but it causes all types of problems. This is a serious thing. So, there, you know, there, there could be some here that are holding a grudge against another, uh, whether they're here or not or what have you. I, I just want you to understand, church member, family member, friend, whatever it is, you need to go and make that right as soon as possible. Kill that root of bitterness because it's robbing you of your joy. I just want to end this thought with a command, a reminder from the Bible on this subject of forgiving one another. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, I have it on my notes here, says, Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. And, and here's where I want you to understand when we... When we look and say, how could God keep forgiving me and forgiving me? I'll tell you how. For his son's sake. Not for your sake, but for his son's sake. Amen? And boy, that really, that, that means a lot, doesn't it? That, that, that ought to help you understand. And, and, but on the same way, for the sake of Christ, for the sake of his only begotten son, God has forgiven you, so how much more should we, for the sake of Christ, forgive others? Are you better than God that you don't have to forgive somebody? I mean, if there's somebody you haven't forgiven for something, you're saying, I'm, 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 I'm above what God can do. And that's not good. Because, again, you have offended God far worse than anyone or ever will offend you. Because, after all, God never gets tired of you. Amen. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Anytime we hear a message like this, it ought to do two things. First of all, it ought, to, it ought to just blow our minds and hearts of the grace of God. 
And we ought to be so thankful to God that we just want to thank him and praise him. But the other thing it ought to do is we ought to think about, again, examine ourselves. Is there some unforgiveness in my own heart? Is there some bitterness towards something? And it may not even be a person. It might just be your situation in life. You know, Bitterness will rob a, joy, or a Christian of joy more than anything. I just want you to understand that God never gets tired of you. And there's no reason for us to leave here today the same way we came in, any of us. If you're not saved, you can leave here saved today. Listen, you might think there's a lot of things that's keeping you from being saved. There's only one thing that's keeping you from being saved this morning, and that's belief. But what I'm saying is the only reason you won't get saved today is you. You. Believe, and you can be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So there's no reason to leave here unsaved. And believer, there's no reason to leave here with guilt. There's no reason for you to leave here with unconfessed sin. There's no reason to leave here thinking God doesn't love you anymore or that you can't be effective. We understand the Bible teaches there are certain things we can disqualify ourselves, but I want you to understand that maybe you have messed up. Maybe there's some things in your life, but God loves you. He still wants to use you, and he can still use you beyond anything you could ever imagine he can use you to see others saved. Now, I'd say that's a pretty important reason to come and respond to the preaching of the Word of God this morning, don't you? I believe it is. So let's all stand with our heads bowed, our eyes closed. I'm just going to pray real quickly. I'm not going to tarry long as far as the invitation, as far as uh, saying some things. I just